With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hey, everyone. Happy uh, back end of the schedule that isn't quite as crazy as the middle of the schedule week. Yeah. I uh, I mean, granted, like it's kind of just as bad, if not worse, if only because, and I know Hoya Saksa talked about this, and we talked about this in the podcast last week, but the big issue now is that no game is an assured loss, but also no game is an assured win. So in some ways, it's it's twice as terrifying and uh, and just as thrilling in others. Yeah, I guess it's it's not as scary like brand wise. Like we we you know we have Wake Forest and BC uh, with Louisville in between, and honestly, like Louisville's probably the biggest mess of those three teams, but they still have like a Heisman winning quarterback. Um, BC is just this weird like enigma that's picked it up out of nowhere recently and wake is just this not super talented but very consistent team that's played very well this year so it's uh it's not quite the easy finish we thought we had but i think i would still rather take my chances with like even a a hot bc or a wake forest over a very talented if inconsistent florida state yeah i'd have to agree there um i think you know a lot of us have been kind of talking about this uh, in the comments on Twitter, Slack, uh, what have you, like at this point, you'll you'll still take your chances with BC and Wake, but like is Louis like some people think Louisville might be more winnable because of the defense. I tend to doubt it. I do think that Wake having their uh, number one wide receiver out for the rest of the season is helpful. But uh, yeah, I, like I knew John Wolford was having a really good season, but I didn't realize how uh, good it was until I looked last night. Like. What happened to the Wake offense where suddenly they're just like, I wouldn't say efficient because that's not the word, but they're suddenly effective at the very least? Yeah, well, Walford's definitely had a, a really nice season. Obviously, he's bolstered by, uh, they had a huge week. Uh, who did they play last week? Oh, the Louisville game. They lost Notre Dame last week, but the Louisville game, and he played pretty well against Notre Dame too, but uh, Louisville, I think he had, what, like five touchdowns? I'm pulling it up now. Um, yeah, 461 for five, and five touchdowns against that like really, really porous Louisville defense uh, in a 42-32. Uh, I think they were at home, home win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's like, like Walford's a, a nice quarterback. Um, that is kind of what you get with the Louisville defense this year. They are just really, really dreadful. But at the same time, like, with Forest, this is definitely the best offense they fielded in, in I mean, I don't remember since before we were in the ACC, for, for sure. Maybe further back. Like, to be honest, like, even when even when guys like Tanner Price were at the height of their uh, their powers, I don't necessarily think Wake was all that good, like, on, from an offensive perspective. Like, I can, I can tra- track back a little bit, but I, I think this is somehow one of the more dynamic, like, offenses Wake's ever had. Who's their, I, I should know this, who's their offensive coordinator now? I have no idea. <laughs> I just like this is like a pretty solid turnaround, and obviously I think they've they have uh, they've like aged up some guys. Like Matt Colburn's been there for a while. Obviously uh, John Wolford, now that he's done getting uh, killed every single game, is you know been healthy and, and is a senior. Um, obviously Wayne they just Ruggiero, lost. Uh, Warren Ruggiero, who is who is that? I... Is that even a real person? It sounds like a made up. <laughs> sounds uh, like, like a I'm... made up like offensive. Uh, like Italian stereotype coach that would yeah. coach on Adazio's staff. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely went to he, he definitely went to Southern Connecticut because you yes, know of course. every every Italian football coach from Connecticut uh, you know ended up coaching in in some weird private school in the uh, East Coast at some point. Um, I, I do want to I 
I will be interested to see how they rebound from I think Greg Dorch was was he out last game? Um uh, he I think he was injured last week, but yeah, now he's just out. He's yeah, I I, I don't know if they'll have him. Um I don't know if they've released their, their yeah, injury he's, report yet. He's done for the season. Okay. Yeah, so he is by far their best receiver, freshman out of Richmond. Um he had seven hundred twenty two yards and nine touchdowns, uh pretty big bid some bid play potential. Um I'm looking at Bill C has the the rundown here. Um, he had 74 targets on the year. Uh, the next highest I was Daddy Washington with 43. Uh, his 54 catches is more than twice what anyone else had. By far the most touchdown. Cam Serene is still there, too. Like, come on. <laughs> like, Cam Serene, uh, their tight end, who has five touchdowns, red zone threat. Like, I feel like he's been there for... Decades. Since I was, like... Yeah, since we were playing them in, like, non-conference play. Um, Cortez Lewis is, is still kicking around. Like, a lot of these names that you've probably... Uh, seen before even if they weren't like huge impact players are just they've just been there for a while so this is what you get when you have a, a veteran laden group um so they're 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 uh and that's what i said before like they're very consistent they play their game they're not super talented like florida state they don't have cam Akers running around but they're gonna execute well um uh, they seem to be consistent throughout the game looking at their situational numbers um they do fall kind of fall down in the fourth quarter a bit um, but pretty balanced throughout the game. Uh, otherwise, their defense is still pretty good, so it's going to be tough. Like, we're, It's not going to be a team that beats itself. Uh, I'm very glad this one's at the Dome because we clearly do play better there. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a godsend here. Um, you know, Yes, we'd be able to make a bowl game by losing all the, uh, all, all the road games if necessary. I'd rather not get into that situation, however. Uh, I, I think that Playing at home, not playing in hurricane conditions like we did last year. Um, the familiar crowd, I think, just seems to do you know some more favors for for maybe the defense in particular. I just feel like they get a little more amped up. Uh, they're a little more focused early on in the game. Obviously, there's you know some bits and pieces there that aren't, but I, I think too, I feel like Dungey just runs better on turf. He still runs really well, and you've seen him you know rack up over a hundred yards in like a few of the last few games. So it's not a question of, of his ability to produce. It's just a question of, like, I feel like he's – I feel like he more safely produces uh, on the dome turf, if that makes sense. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's a faster field uh, than what we get, uh, you know, on a lot of the road venues in the ACC. Um, and, and it just seems like, the, you know, the, the crowd has – you know, even when it's small, it's, it has been pretty good in terms of the energy that they, uh, they give the team. Um, I'm – Interested to see what what I hate being like. I try to like make myself not care about the turnout. I'm interested to see what the effect is of uh, the first game since the Clemson game, which feels like so long ago. But yeah, I think the buzz is worn off. Two losses, which kind of dampens it, um, which is tough because there were two like you know there are losses you would probably put in pen early before the year. They had a chance to win both because it's a Syracuse, so they have a chance to win every single game, and they you know are very they try to find ways to. Uh, to make it as frustrating as possible. More and more um, creative ways to lose each week. Yes. And you can see, it, like, we're, we're coming so close uh, in all of these games. Um, it actually reminds me, it's like the bizarro version of Doug Marone's first year, where pretty much every game was close. I think they covered the spread. Like, I, we're, we're really getting into spread this year. I, I don't know the exact record, but I think we're maybe 7-2? Uh, well, and 6-1-1. One one. Okay, 6-1-1. One one. I think Marone's first year, we were, like, Eight and four or something like that. I can go look it up, but I'm not sure how far back the uh, like odd shark numbers go. Um, but that that tends to uh, pay dividends in the in the future. I mean, not not the gambling aspect of it, but teams that cover the spread a lot that are under 500 one year tend to uh, kind of turn into like you can see the progress made the next year in the actual record. So hopefully that's the case here. Um, but I mean, this team's in every single game, um, and uh, I'm not sure what the line is on this team. I think. Wake is probably a, a pretty slight favorite. It started three and a half uh, point underdogs for Wake, and now I think Syracuse is minus one at this point. Yeah, I'm actually seeing that now. It's that's pretty, actually kind of crazy. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a push. I think everyone's a little concerned about Dungy's health, and that's kind of pushing the line down. Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about Dungy's health at all times. Well, um, I, I, yeah, exactly. Who isn't? <laughs> oh, Dungy, Dungy isn't. Dungy would be the lone player not concerned about Dungy's health at all times. No, Dungey might be more like, I mean, I'm, I'm terrified to know like what his uh, like cortisone shot regimen is at this mm-hmm. point. Um, he's probably like, 
more painkiller than man. Um, but yeah, you could ask me in mid-April if I'm concerned about Dungey's health, and I'd be like, yes, absolutely. Mets games on. Yep, Dungey <laughs> is Dungey gonna you know fall down a flight of stairs because he tried yeah. to jump because he tried to jump five of the steps at once. Definitely. He just he ran to he ran to. I mean, chalkboards don't exist anymore, but uh, in you know some weird world where Dungey's you know a student at Rushmore prep. Uh, he like ran too fast up to the chalkboard to solve a long division problem and, you know, sprained his ankle, but also trucked three people. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he's healthy and, and, or if he's just doing the thing where he doesn't, you know, his, his, uh, pain threshold doesn't matter. Um, we'll have a chance because he's just such a ridiculous dynamic player. Um, but this should be a really tough one. I'm, I'm worried, but uh, again, like having it at the dome, I think is a big difference. If this is on the road again, I think it'd be tough, uh, especially after the nonsense at Wake last year with that ridiculous weather. The ridiculous weather and the fact that, like, I feel like everyone looked at that score and forgot to, like, check out the box score. Like, it was not it was not a one-sided game at all. Both teams played, like, absolute ass, like, in that weather. It's just that Syracuse moved the ball primarily, you know, through the air, and, and throwing in that weather is just not going to cut it. And so a couple turnovers in Syracuse. As Notre Dame. Yeah, as Notre Dame could definitely attest to uh, the exact same day. <laughs> in a similar venue uh, <laughs> nearby. But yeah, we, uh, I mean, it, it's not that we didn't try to run. It's that we literally just couldn't get anything with the run. So we were forced to pass and that caused some issues. Um, a late turnover kind of flipped the field from what was, you know, a 21 to nine game to a 28 to nine game. SU was driving, you know, mid fourth quarter with a chance to, I believe, tie it up or something similar. Um, I don't recall the exact margin um, at the moment, but yeah, it was definitely uh, one of those games where, like, the final score doesn't necessarily give you the you know accurate outcome or anything like that. Um, that said, like Syracuse obviously still lost; these things happen. Um, but there was, you know, before we kind of, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Florida State game. But before we dive into that, there were two articles today actually that I wanted to bring up. Um, one of them was uh, a point made by Julian Wiggum. He was talking about the defensive breakdown and was saying one of his biggest issues, uh, and it was something that he saw in how the players were, were pursuing and how they were being, you know, not like overly aggressive, but definitely over pursuing at times. Like they were trying for what he, you know, referred to him as like kind of home run hits instead of kind of gradually, um, you know, eating away at what the offense could do. And like, you know, noting that it was a big departure from earlier in the season and that, like you saw in the Clemson game and, you know, some of the other games like LSU, that, like, the defense w- was was kind of picking away. And then since the Clemson game, they got a little too confident um, and they've been going for, like, these big, big, um, you know, statement plays and aggressive plays, and that's kind of led to, um, you know, some of these big gains. I know FSU had three touchdowns of 50 or more yards, um, and Miami had a couple long drives as well, so... Um, I don't know if you saw that, but I don't know also too, Dan, if, uh, if it's something that you've noticed, um, just from watching on your end. Yeah. I, I read uh, Julian's piece, uh, right before we started here. Um, that was pretty much like, I, I think the, the, the upshot of that is that that was really all Florida state got, um, the defense was pretty spectacular aside from those big plays, but, uh, I do think that was a good point, especially with a shifty running back like Cam Akers. He just really good, like one cut in the whole runner. Um, and he's yes, going to be horrifying he, in like a year. Yeah. I mean, that's the, he's one of the reasons why everyone kind of assumed Florida State would be a, a playoff contender this year because you had him, you had Francois, who uh, I think we're all big fans of when he's when he's healthy. Um, at quarterback, their receivers were probably more of an issue than we – I mean, we talked about this last week ahead of their, uh, that game, but we probably should have uh, seen the receiver issue ahead of time in the Florida, in the offensive line issue, which was not great last year either, uh, as Francois would tell you, considering he got hit. He was like the Eric Dungy of Florida State. He gets hit so much. <laughs> um, but but Akers is great. Like he's if he had a better offensive line and, and a passing game that could really open things up a bit, like he would be putting up some monster monster numbers as a freshman. So he'll be he'll be annoying to face for another two two or three years. Um, but yeah, was, I, those de- the big plays were basically what gave Florida State this team the three the uh, long touchdown pass over the middle, which just seemed like a, a broken defense uh, in the secondary. Yeah, I think um, Julian it's... mentioned the, the Rodney Williams kind of bit a little too far inside. You yeah. saw that on the replay, too, that it was just, you know, Williams is playing mostly free safety, and he didn't necessarily, he didn't move quickly enough backward, and that kind of let, you know, it wasn't even like there was a deep man over the top. Like, this was the slot guy who was just able to quickly, like, go on a seam inside um, and collect that pass. It was actually pretty reminiscent um, of what the pass that we pulled off um, 
against Florida State um, later in the first half with uh, Jamal Custis, you know, just getting completely free on the inside um, over what was a like kind of caught flat-footed Florida State uh, secondary. Yeah, I think on Custis, I'd have to rewatch it, but I'm pretty sure um, two defenders both uh, jump on the same receiver over the middle and Custis just ran by everyone. Um, but I have to rewatch that. But yeah, very similar plays where like you just found it. I directly open over the middle. I think Florida State's was a little more about like a guy is really fast, which is a Florida State thing. Right. Um, Custis was just a total blown blown coverage uh, because like he could not have been more open. <laughs> um, and also like when Dungey, I think I tweeted this, but like when Dungey let the ball drop, there's no one. You know, you didn't see Custis down the field. You're like, what is he doing? Yeah, I... <laughs> Why is he throwing so deep on this fourth? Oh, okay. <laughs> This is why, I, re- I, I mean, this is one of the many reasons why I wish we had, like, all 22 footage Yeah. for college, because that would have really come in handy for me, just to, I mean, and to be honest, like, while I enjoy doing the uh, the play calling breakdowns, things like that, um, I would get so much more out of it, and I feel like everybody else would, too, um, if I had that at my disposal, because I feel like, you know, I'm making a lot of assumptions about what covers looks like downfield when I'm talking about, you know, okay, Dungey didn't throw here, like, I mean... Like, you saw a little bit of it on the replay, but to be honest, like, like when Dungy against Florida State, uh, that play that he took a sack that he never should have in a million years, you know, we make some assumptions that he could have thrown it away to somewhere or someone or at least out of bounds. Um, I, I would have liked to see, you know, the all-22 that would have shown, you know, what he really had available to him. And if he had no one, fine. But, like, you had the opportunity to quickly roll out and ditch that out of bounds about five seconds sooner than you did. And, obviously, it cost Syracuse a good... 15, 20 seconds, it really could have either led to a, a shorter field goal um, or even a touchdown to win the game late. Yeah, it definitely wasn't ideal. And, and, you know, those are the plays that Nanji, you know, I like always hate criticizing him because he's just so important. Like, he's he's about as important to Syracuse as any player is in college football to their team, um, which is, is silly to say because Syracuse, you know, they're four and five and they're not some great team. But, like, if they were forced to start Zach Mahoney every week, and, and we all love Mahoney. But if they were forced to start Mahoney every week, they'd be a two-win team probably. And with Dungy, they're fighting for a bowl bid and are competing against some of the best teams in college football. Um, So, like, there are things there that he can definitely work on, which is scary because, like, you you assume he'll he'll improve again uh, before next year, um, assuming he is still with us, which I don't don't know why he wouldn't be. Um, I think one reason I'm not going to mention it. Oh, God. It's kind of morbid. Okay. <laughs> assuming, assuming, uh, assuming he's like literally still with us, and he does not die on the field, um, which it seems to be the seems to be like the ultimate, the the unfortunate ultimate end of Eretunji because the dude is just like, pardon like the all the bad like war complex analogies, but like he is the most warrior like quarterback I can remember. Um, but man. Uh, like, if he is back for his senior year, which, again, there's no, like, intel or anything, it, we all assume he will be. Um, like, it's kind of scary to think that he could get better and make better decisions and be more efficient and uh, hopefully have a running game and an offensive line that's a bit more equipped to uh, supplement him. And then we can really see, like, like the numbers he put, he's putting up already are crazy. Uh, just imagine, like, with all of those improvements. And um, obviously he's going to lose Steve Ishmael and Ernst Phillips, which hurts, but... Uh, you hope that some other guys take a step forward and then, you know, we'll really see what he can do in this offense um, even beyond like this, you know, fun and, and entertaining, but still like pretty inefficient and uh, kind of uh, madcap version of Dungeon we have right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, this kind of got talked about because people were saying something about DeVito uh, potentially playing and, and I please know, uh, and it's no no knock on Devito. It's just a it's just talking like necessity. It's it, it's not necessary at all. Um, but you know, it was talking about kind of you know how, how the depth chart shifts over the next couple of years and, and how that kind of lines up really well for everybody. And like you look at this year right now, like we'd only lose one offensive lineman for next year. We'd lose our top two receivers, but we do have a lot of wide receivers. And I think that's something like folks aren't as focused on. Like while we're not seeing huge numbers from guys like uh, you know Sherrod Johnson, who really hasn't played a ton and Nike Johnson or even like a, you know, Devin Butler who like plays here and there, Jamal Custis would be a senior next year. Like we see some plays from those guys, like them, Sean Riley, um, some of the other guys who redshirted this year, I think Cameron Jordan, um, those guys and uh, Russell Thompson Bishop in particular, all those guys are going to be ready to go next year um, to go with what should be an improved offensive line. They're going to have Aaron Roberts back. 
Um, I don't know if you end up seeing like the the freshmen come in and, and start right away. I would think not, no matter how good Tyrone Sampson is. Um, but having all those guys available um, should mean a better offensive line. I think the running game should be improved next year. Um, Dungey under center with with all of those like, and this is what I was trying to get at with uh, you know folks I was talking to about you know why why not why no Devito this year or next year? It's because like your strengths need to be able to balance out your weaknesses a little bit. Now, next year's defense is going to be, you know, other than the linebacker position, which I think is still going to be all right, but might take a slight step back, is going to be able to be enhanced by what should be a veteran and, again, much improved um, secondary and defensive line. On the offensive side, the offensive line is going to be very, very experienced and healthy again. You're going to have skill position players um, kind of moving up and balancing out, you know, to make up for... Uh, the losses of, you know, Steve Ishmael and Irvin Phillips. Dungy will obviously be a senior. Um, but then you look at the next year, offensive line is still going to be experienced uh, the following season. And will have, you know, I'd say, you know, a, a, if he's not already ready next year, a game-ready Tyrone Sampson. And based on, to be honest, based on, and this isn't to knock him too much, but, like, I saw Aaron Cervais got, like, some, like, pregame credit for, like, being a standout guy. And, like, he's played well considering, like, Center really wasn't his natural position. He's tasked to do a lot for a redshirt freshman, but like, I wouldn't call him the standout of the offensive line. Um, I could see Tyron Sampson definitely challenging him potentially next year. I know one of my biggest issues of late with Cervais' play, while he's cut down on the penalties and things, um, the low snaps are absolutely killing this offense. And I mentioned that in the uh, the play calling breakdown that like, you started seeing the low snaps as early as like the late first quarter this time around, and like. Last game, it only started about halfway through. This game, it was it was pretty constant throughout, and it really it really hurts Dungy's ability to make a quick read, um, and it's resulting in him getting hit a whole lot more. Yeah, the low snaps were an issue, especially with an uh, an offense that that's kind of by necessity like very uh, just fast releases, quick first read throws um, because there just isn't very much time for Dungy. Uh, and if you have a low snap and it, you know, you have to take your eye off, off, you know, your receivers downfield um, and then get like reposition the throw. Like it's probably like a half second, which is a ton in terms of, you know, time to get the ball out. Um, there's also a chance that survey sets moved over, which because we have Samson coming in, if not next year than the year after. Um, but the larger point's really good because when Dungy is gone um, in two years, you'll have, you know, assuming he takes he takes over and wins the job, you'll have a, a sophomore, redshirt sophomore DeVito, but you'll have um, a receiving core that was able to be groomed with Dungy last year with a lot of sophomores and juniors. You'll have a very experienced offensive line, maybe the most experienced unit on the team. Um, so then you have, you know, you can plug in a young, uh, inexperienced quarterback, but he'll have a lot of guys around him who are uh, kind of ready to go. And that'll also be important because I, I you know, haven't we haven't watched DeVito play at the college level. I, he's not the same... He's not a like super mobile quarterback. I think he's athletic, but he's not Dungy, who's you know running around all over the place. So I don't think Devito would work in quite the. Uh, I don't want to call it a style of play, but whatever you want to call this it, brand of offense does this year. <laughs> yeah, the brand of offense, which is just like uh, let Dungy do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think most of the Syracuse offense is like fun, and also you can just play yakety sacks behind our highlights all the time. <laughs> um, DeVito is going to need more of a clean pocket and uh, a little more of like a standard offense, I think. Um, so having a, a very veteran offensive line and some receivers who are kind of learning their roles and are and have a, a year of experience after you know Ishmael and Phillips are gone will be will be very helpful. So things do kind of work. Seem they seem to be leading themselves towards working out well in that regard. Obviously, there are transfers and players leaving the game and everything else. But but based on how the depth chart shakes out now, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on the direction that we're going. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, that's kind of I was just getting at. It wasn't to knock DeVito. It wasn't to knock anybody else. Just to say, like, let, let the vision come together and remember that, like, as much as guys like Ishmael and Phillips and, uh, you know, Dungy and others are putting up big numbers here, like, this is still a team that largely has been growing all at once and at the same, like, and they're guys who are coming from the exact same place, which is like a disjointed, god-awful offense um, under the previous regime. And, and these guys have been able to quickly kind of pick up what Babers wanted to do. But, they're you know, they're doing it together, and they're all kind of aging out of it at the same time, uh, you know, give or take a year. So, you know, having a little more staggered growth and staggered depth um, in the coming years is actually going to help us out um, a ton. And, and you're going to see the fruits of that, 
you know, going forward. And, and the fact that we're, you know, four and five and could technically be nine and oh without like a huge amount of stretching. Um, but again, that, that, that assumes the luck bounce goes your way every time. And, and that rarely happens. Um, I'd say that, that this is really great progress. And it, that kind of tracks back to what Babers was saying in the teleconference today. Um, when he was talking about, you know, the fact that they've been in every game, the fact that they're able to really, um, you, you can see the results compared to last year when they were getting blown out by better opponents. And now you're seeing, you know, there is, there is no opponent head and shoulders above Syracuse. And part of that obviously is because, you know, ACC offenses took a step back. A lot of players went to the, the NFL draft the last couple of years. Um, I'd say defenses have gotten better across the board in the ACC too. But in general, like you just don't have like a four to five team upper class right now. Um, I think it's more like two to three at best. Um, that's a factor as well, and that's something that Syracuse is going to have to rectify next year uh, when some of those teams that took a slight step back take a huge step forward next year. But in general, like this team is competitive, and they were competitive not just against ACC programs, but against you know LSU as well, um, who's a top twenty-five team. So you, know, you and me, and most of the other people who've been on the Babers train since day one, like have, have preached progress and have preached, preached patience. I think. This is the type of year, and obviously it'd be great to end it with a bowl game. Um, this is the type of year that I think folks who are still on the fence needed uh, to really buy in. Yeah, I'm a little worried that if we miss a bowl, it, you're going to have like a lot of the you know, backlash over not finishing strong and having all these close losses. But like, it, it's really hard not to appreciate just how much better the team is as a whole. And and I see like every week when we you know do have these close losses, like there are definite gripes about like Babers. I obviously you could complain about the field goal at the end of the half or the not taking the field goal at the end of the half. Um, I honestly like didn't mind that as much as a lot of people, just because I think you kind of have to have your process. And Babers and we almost had um, Irvin Phillips. If it were not for the tip ball at the line, Irvin Phillips would have had a wide open touchdown on third down. Yeah, so like you have to kind of separate process from results sometimes, especially with a team like this. Um, and you know, if they score the touchdown there, they probably win the game. Um, so uh, there are individual play calls that I think you can gripe with. Um, I thought he had, you know, not, his, I don't think Babers had a great coaching game in Florida state, but like the overall direction of the program, it's like, you, it's pretty inarguable that things are moving uh, in a definitive right direction, maybe even a little quicker than we thought, even if the wins aren't there every week. Um, and like you said, like it's it's not like the greatest excuse, but like this team could be six and three or seven and two if they you know finish a little better or you know one or two big plays uh, in a given loss. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think um, if anything, uh, we we just need to have that last little push of learning to finish games versus like learning how to play a complete game, which um, is coming along probably quicker than you know just hitting like a couple of big lucky players and getting some wins that we didn't earn or not being a team that's as good as our record. Yeah. Or we just schedule easier. <laughs> <laughs> or, just, yeah, or, or just schedule easier and that works. I mean, hey, look at, uh, well, I guess they're not really a good example anymore. But um, I know, I mentioned this in the Slack room. I was watching CBS Sports and they were talking about the biggest stories of the year. And for some reason, one of the biggest stories was Rutgers being 3-3 three and three in the Big Ten. Um Sure, whatever. Good for them. They're beating the, the, I mean, they're beating their peer group, which is what they need they, to do. Yeah, they to, need to do. Improve. But like, they've done, like, Chris Ash has done a nice job. Like, it's not, oh, I yeah. would take Babers over him, but, you know, good for Rutgers. They're winning home games and they're beating their peer programs. Oh, which yeah. I did not expect. And, yeah. And like, this isn't even to, like, you know, deride Rutgers. Like, I wrote about them for the comeback, like, back in September about how you could see, like, you know, the seeds of getting better, like, being sown against, like, even, like, Washington. But, um, I just found it weird that like of all the things that you could harp on is like the storyline for the t- 2017 season, like is like the coolest storylines or like the nicest storylines, like a three and three Rutgers team that beat up on its peer group and is getting smoked by like the elites of the big 10. I don't really know if that's a, a, like anywhere near the top of my list. Yeah, no, that wouldn't be like the first thing I gravitated to even in the big 10, but you know, it's something I guess, I guess this was uh, our, our being nice Rutgers segment of the season. Enjoy it. This is this is your only uh, only hope. For all those Rutgers fans that listen to this podcast on a weekly basis, I, I don't know who you are. Yeah, I'm sure there's a few of you that are just looking for that glimmer of disrespect. Uh, Rutgers and UConn fans have that in, in common, and Penn State fans too. Uh, where you know, I actually wouldn't be surprised if UConn fans listen to this, just in case you know we bring up the <laughs> realignment. It's been a, it's been a little bit. It has been a little bit. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> but 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 if anyone has like audio SEO, they. Uh, Everything just went up on, like, red alert. Oh, definitely put it in the URL. 
I'm, yeah, I'm going to put it in the URL for sure. Efforts um, realignment, UConn, <laughs> ACC. Honestly, like, I always feel like them, Rutgers, and, like, Penn State, too, and just have, like, Google alerts for any time anyone says something about them, anytime anyone tweets about them. Like, there's just, like, a... Like, <laughs> They just get like a, a summary every hour of like the, you know the disrespect chronicles. Clemson does too, but to a different extent. Like Clemson only cares about uh, like the big fish and who's saying stuff about them. Like the other three, like Penn State, like they'll go after you for they'll go after like a five follower like uh, like egg account who uh, who says something about you know Penn State and they just respond with like we are like fifty goddamn times. <laughs> it's like God forbid. It's not wrong. <laughs> You are. I mean, you should also true. put this in, put oh, in yeah. the slug after, you know, UConn, Conference Realignment, ACC, Penn Big State, 10, disrespect. Joe Paterno statue, uh, Penn State college football playoff. Does, does Penn State even belong in the top 25? Disgust. <laughs> <laughs> good Lord. Anyway, uh, that's a good excuse to uh, talk about some beer, Dan. So uh, what have you been drinking? Uh, I had a pretty good week uh, for some new stuff. I went down to uh, the Philadelphia area for a day to visit friends. Um, I had the Blueberry Berliner Weiss uh, from Conshohocken Brewing, which is really good, a nice Berliner Weiss sour. Um, the blueberry flavor is not, like, crazy. I actually, my friend gave it to me uh, from, a, from a growler. I couldn't even, like, quite guess what the fruit was uh, because it, it's definitely more of a sour than, like, the distinct, like, blueberry beer flavor. But it's very good. Um... I went to Iron Hill Brewery, uh, which is just one of those like chain breweries that you get so off, uh, you know, see in different areas. This one's in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, one of those uh, dad brewery type things. Right, and I honestly didn't expect very much, but I had a Citra IPA from them, and it was actually really good, um, which was nice, uh, very drinkable, uh, just a st- solid IPA. But usually, I feel like those places like their IPAs are pretty crappy, and this one wasn't. This was like a really solid IPA, so no complaints there. Um, I have a growler of single cut softly spoken magic spells in my fridge, uh, which I you know have every so often. It's one of their signatures. Um, I always kind of forget how much of like a powerhouse this thing is. It's at eight point six percent. It's like a really like it pats a real punch for uh, for a double IPA, um, but very delicious. Uh, and then I had a second fiddle from Fiddlehead Brewing, um, which is I think that was another double. Uh, yeah, really big. Um, not probably not on the same level as the, the uh, softly spoken, but another big uh, double IPA from Fiddlehead Brewing. Um, I had a super session IPA from Lawson's Finest Liquids up in Vermont, um, which is really delicious. And then uh, one of the better ones I had this week, uh, a Yeah Buddy um, from Kings County Brewers here in New York. Um, another double IPA, also at eight point six percent. This thing was like really delicious. I actually kind of surprised it's this. Uh, as alcoholic and uh, as it is, because it really was like for a double, super drinkable. Um, so really enjoyed that. I hadn't had that before, but Kings County does some some good work. I was trying to see if I actually if I've had anything from them. They're fairly. I think they've kind of come on the scene recently. Um, they're they're a pretty small outlet, but I think they're over in in Brooklyn. But everything I had from them is, is pretty solid. This is actually apparently a collaboration with Finback, which is a another New York City brew brewery. Yeah, I was just I was wondering if I had uh, if I'd had anything from them on my uh, whirlwind tour of the boroughs when I was there, uh, you know, twice back in March, but apparently not. I've really noticed them a lot in the last like six months. I, I didn't know a lot about them before that. Hmm. I don't know if they can their stuff. If they do, I might have to send you something. Yeah, definitely about that. Um, so I drank way too much last weekend, like entirely too much, <laughs> and I'll, I'll readily readily admit that. Um, uh, on Friday, I was over at uh, Abigail Brewing, just like the I've mentioned them before, the restaurant slash brewery that's down in Hermosa. Had a Suds of Anarchy, their uh, their latest uh, New England style pale ale. Um, I stopped at one of my favorite spots, Mediterraneo, for a happy hour. It's buy one get one drafts. So Blind Pig had quite a few of those. Um, swung over to another spot for some Alesmith Tower Twelve. Had uh, from Brewery Tarot, the Wanderer. Um, which is a Flanders had oat tart with uh, raspberries as well. Then I uh, stopped over at Select Beer Store in uh, South Redondo. Had a main beer company gets out here occasionally, so I actually had a uh, had a pint of uh, Peeper Ale from uh, from Main Beer Co. Oh, jealous! Yeah. I've had Main in a bit. 
Yeah, that was the first time I had them since last summer when lunch randomly showed up out here. That's pretty fun. There's like a couple places where I can reliably get mean, but I haven't been to those spots recently. But they're, I mean, they're definitely one of the best places up here. Yeah, Aaron told me that their stuff gets to Whole Foods a bunch. At least the, well, at least they used to, the bottle. That's interesting. Yeah. Whole Foods usually does a good job of like the like randomly distributed stuff. But uh, what else did I have? Oh, I had, uh, and I sent you a photo of this. The uh, I had the Imperial Mexican Biscotti cake break. Yeah, I saw that. You, you found that out all the way out there? Yeah. Uh, Evil Twin gets out here pretty often. Oh, I forgot that was, yeah. Okay, I, I was actually mixing that up with the Mexican cake. Yeah. This was the because this was the Evil Twin Westbrook uh, collab. Okay, it's a collaboration. Evil Twin, I feel like, is deading all over the place. Like I found them in a lot of random spots. Like when I've been outside the city. Yeah, they're hooked up them um, and a bunch of other places. Like I feel like they've really ramped up their distro lately. Because I know uh, like Grim is all is out here all the time too. That's pretty interesting because Grim is like not the easiest thing to find even here. Obviously, you can, you can find it if you go to a good place, but it's not like Grim is like super. Uh, like in every store, so it's interesting that their distribution is as wide as it is. But it, you know they're doing a nice job. Very weird. Um, also, and, I'm not even sure if they have a brew ha- like a tap room yet. I know they hadn't like when I first found them. I thought they. I think they do now. I need to look that up because yeah. I want to go there. I would definitely look that up. Um, since I kept drinking because you know liver damage is fun. Um, Let's see. At Smog City, I had their new Coast Rider IPA. It was a passion fruit IPA. It was kind of good. Um, I went over to Monkish and had a bunch of different things. I had a Fly Banjo, their double IPA. Well, one of their double IPAs I had on. I had a Red Hot Pale Ale. Um, had a Really Real Batch 2. It was another double IPA. They had Wise Wordsmith, which, again, another double IPA they had on draft. Doubled back around for Fly Banjo because it was so good. Um, had a couple sours from them, including Interstellar Hitchhiker, and then closed out a Sunday that I drank way too much on with uh, a bottle of Confuzzled from uh, from Celador, a beer I've mentioned before here in a brewery that I uh, always speak very highly of. Very nice. I'm looking. I still don't know if Grimm has it because uh, I found their address in New York, and if you like Google Maps it, it's just a random for rent building. Although this was from 2014, so they might actually be there now. But their website doesn't have anything about a, a new tap room, so. Yeah. I have to see. I know they, they like apparently they started brewing out of like their kitchen, or at least they, they developed the beers in their kitchen. So it's interesting that they again like it's it's weird that they uh, are so like they get out there so much because they are very much like a you know mom and pop shop in terms of uh, how they make their beers. Yeah, they're uh, I think they go the gypsy route. You know, Evil Twin does too, even though they yep. have uh, Torst, which is technically a tap room. Evil Twin brews out of uh, two roads up in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, which is a, another really good brewery. That it is. I have been. It's a good time. I like that place. I haven't been there in a bit because I don't get home as much as I do, uh, used to, but uh, I need to get back up there too. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but Dan, redirecting to football. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Wake Forest game, and then we can kind of close out with the basketball chat uh, because, yes, the season is starting on Friday. Weird. Weird. I... Uh, it's always such a different vibe for basketball starting when football is actually like watchable. Because I'm just not ready to like I'm not ready to flip the switch yet, and I I, I like to resist. And, and how we run the site also lets me kind of resist because I sort of run things obviously on the football side. And then while I talk about basketball, I do let other people do the majority of that. Um, just and I'll jump back in like once you know I get to to basketball season. But I do think that, and I know like you're this way to an extent like and a lot of other people are too like if i'm going to follow a season to the extent i cover and and follow syracuse football i can't really pay attention to any other thing going on (laughs) and it gets very very difficult to to keep my eye on syracuse basketball and football at the same time to the same at least level of like giving a shit i think it's for me it's that like college football starts at such a definitive point like week one such a big deal right and there's no exhibition games to start and it's just like oh college football's here this build-up's been coming and college basketball just kind of like gently pops onto the radar i know they have like their big like 24 hours on espn and not like this year. Some big matchups early are they not doing that this year they didn't do that this year which is stupid because i feel like i feel like the 24 hour thing there's no way that like i mean unless it's just like because they cut so much cost wise that like the resources needed to get 
that many crews and that much and that many resources around the country might have been difficult. But like, there's only really like one big matchup all weekend, and it's the Friday night that no one will care about game between like A and M and West Virginia. I thought that that the fact that the uh, the the cursed UCLA Georgia Tech game in China was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's eleven thirty. That's truly part of the twenty four hour college basketball t- uh, tip off thing. Nope, just uh, awful. but apparently that's just a game at eleven thirty. Um, that like half the half of each team isn't playing in. <laughs> for various scandals. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, like, comes in, and especially for Syracuse, like, we never have that first huge game. We're always, like, playing, you know, not to not complain about the schedule. I'm just saying, like, we don't tend to schedule ourselves those, like, huge tip-offs. We have, like, you know, Albany yeah, like, or something. Like, two weeks later, we'll we'll do one of the other tournaments. Yeah, yeah, we, we do it, like, a week or two in. Um, so, like, college basketball, like, just kind of, like, gently comes into my life, and, like, I'll watch all the games, but it's not like, you know... A football game, or even if you're you're opening with Wagner or whatever, like oh, it's touch a ball. It's been gone for so long. Like it's this big event, right. um, and I'm not sure how he fits that because college basketball starts at such a weird time um, because it's right in the middle of of college football season, like the biggest part of college football season. And this year, the NBA has already started. Um, obviously, that's not usually the case, um, and the NFL is still growing. So it, it's it's kind of a, a hard spot to like really make a dent. Um, and college basketball is just, like, not a huge sport for those who aren't, like, fans of the big programs or, you know, the diehards. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to get, like, super, super excited. Now, obviously, I'll watch games and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be pretty, uh, you know, into it. But, but, you know, until ACC play rolls, rolls around, it's hard to, like, really dedicate yourself to it overall. Um, now, this year is a little bit more interesting because, like, I think there's probably a little more intrigue just because this team is such a mystery and uh, maybe some worry too, um, because obviously they've, they've won their exhibitions handily, but they've started slow in both those games. Um, I just don't know what to make of this team as we talked about last week. So in, in our basketball preview. Um, so I think maybe that actually adds to like some of my interest because like when, when we have four seniors and you know, you're returning three starters or whatever, you know, you kind of know what you're going to be. So when you're playing Cornell in, in game one, you're like, okay, we're going to win by 35, and these guys will do this. But this game, like, you know, we saw a little bit in the exhibition. We've learned some things. We know Ty's battle's going to shoot 20 times a game and, and going to be the focal point. We know if Shea present looks pretty good so far. Um, we know we can block some shots. But it's still, like, largely uh, a brand-new experience. So maybe that actually makes the early season a little more exciting. But... Again, until we start to really challenge ourselves with the meat of the schedule, it's going to be tough to get super ramped up while the football team is still playing competitive football and, and shooting for a bowl. But, we, you know, it, it, we are a Syracuse fan, so we do have to pay attention to it because we know where our bread is buttered. This is very true. Um, but, yeah, knowing me, I'm still very much fighting for the, uh, the real estate on the blog to make sure that football uh, gets its due credit. I know uh, that, that it's always a... I wouldn't say always a struggle with this blog in particular, just because Sean, me, you, pretty much everyone who's been involved in the site, save like some of the current guys like Ben and James, like we've always been football centric and like a football centric blog about a basketball centric team just by necessity. Um, Obviously, you know, things shift a little bit, but nonetheless, I, I do feel like that the fight for space is is mostly in my head, I think, that versus I do feel like we have a lot of fans who are more football than basketball, and that's probably a larger percentage than the, the wider Syracuse fan base. Yeah, I mean, the bot itself is definitely, like, cultivated kind of an interesting breakdown um, because Syracuse football gets overshadowed so much. Um, but college football is more of a year-round sport than college basketball is, so I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. No, I have to agree there. Um, but yeah, talking Syracuse football and football overshadowing basketball some more. Um, we face Wake Forest on Saturday, as we mentioned, it's at the Dome. Uh, Wake is right now a one-point underdog or a, uh, or a push, depending on which, uh, which sports book you look at. Um, as we mentioned, Greg Dorch is out. Um, Wake's offense is better. I know Wolford has... Almost 2,000 yards passing. About He has 400 on the dot uh, yards rushing. He's got 24 total touchdowns, just three interceptions. Um, he's having a pretty strong season and actually putting up sort of better du- numbers than Dungy in, in some ways and worse than others. Um, he's not as dynamic, obviously, and, and, and but he is a run threat, and he is someone who's able to make plays. Now, whether or not he can do that without Dorch um, and against a team that's been able to, save last week, been able to stop the run, um, 
that's really going to be uh, a big test for them. I think I was worried about Wake's defense. I'm still worried about Wake's defense, but Dan, I don't know how much of the Notre Dame game you, you watched. Um, the Deacons let up None. 700. <laughs> yeah, well, you couldn't pay me to watch a Notre Dame game that doesn't involve Syracuse, to be honest. But um, Wake allowed 715 yards to, to Notre Dame, which is like, which is not okay, no matter who you're facing. Um, I try not to like this Notre Dame team is such a freight train, and it's so funny considering what they were last year. Oh yeah, the four um, and eight jokes and everything. Like yeah, the four well the four and eight thing, but also the fact that they like we brought up the NC State game from last year where they were so dedicated to throwing the ball despite the fact that they were not good, even though they had a good quarterback. Um, this year, like I, I guess you give credit to Brian Kelly because he totally reshaped this this uh, this offense around his talent. Uh, Brandon Wimbush is not a great passer at all, but he can run the heck out of the ball. Josh Adams is probably one of the 10 best players in college football. Um, so if Notre Dame steamrolls you, I'm not going to do too crazy about it. Um, that being said, they, they also allowed, you know, 330 passing yards to Notre Dame. Um, Ian Buck came in and was 8 for 8. So that's not ideal. Does that, Notre Dame does not pass the ball well, and they pass for 8.7 yards uh, attempt and two touchdowns, no picks. Um, and then they did their normal running thing where they ran for 380 yards and 8 Point three yards a carry. So, like, Notre Dame can run the ball like that on anyone. They don't usually pass like that. Um, and Wake Forest, I don't know about this year particularly, but overall their their defensive backfield's generally been one of the stronger parts of their team. And this year overall, I think their, their passing S&P is pretty strong. They're 30th in the country. Um, yeah, I mean, so, seven picks. They only allowed 10 touchdowns. They're allowing they're, – I mean, opponent completion percentage is close to, like, 51%. Yeah, now, now I think part of this might be uh, a little bit uh, inflated by uh, the opponents. They've played Presbyterian, which, you know, who cares? They played early season Boston College, which was like the last like, two like seasons of Boston College. Yeah, before Boston College learned had a, this new crazy offense that they have, maybe. They played Utah State, who's, I don't think, very good this year. Yeah. Um, they played Appalachian State, who is, you know, fine, but I don't think they're, you know, they're not throwing the ball over the, all over the yard. Florida State, whose quarterback uh, is not very good. Clemson, they lost to, um, I don't know what Kelly Bryant's, was this the game that Kelly Bryant got like originally banged up in? Yeah, and like this was, this was. I mean, Clemson's done this all year too, where once they get like a reasonable lead, and that and that's kind of what helped us against them, I think, is that once they get a reasonable lead, they just kind of, you know, sit on you and coast. They, they follow the Alabama model. Right. Then Georgia Tech, who, Doesn't passing, you know, <laughs> they don't throw the ball. Um, and then Louisville, who they beat, Lamar Jackson, did not have a great game, but he had 330 yards. Um, Which is still a but lot. Like, and he also ran for 160. So he ran, he, his passing wasn't like, it wasn't his greatest passing game, only threw for one touchdown, but he still averaged 7.5 in attempt. Like, so a good, okay passing game for him. And then Notre Dame, which threw the ball way better than it usually does. So I'd say like, sit, uh, well, how many games have they played? Nine? Yeah. So I'd say seven of their nine opponents were not giant passing threats. And then Lamar Jackson had a decent game for him and Notre Dame had a way better game than they usually do through the air and then their normal like destructive running game so I think maybe Wake Forest passing this was this took way too long to explain maybe Wake Forest <laughs> passing defenses I just realized we spent like four minutes breaking down every single game they played Wake Forest passing defense might be a little inflated <laughs> so we'll see how Dungey does <laughs> yeah I, I think you're right I think it's a little bit of a misnomer in general like I, I know the narrative and the vibe was like oh Wake's better and like yeah, they probably are, but like if you look at the schedule versus last year's, like this is this, this follows a very similar track to last season. Like you know, step one, blow out FCS opponents. Step two, beat peer group institution in the ACC. Last year it was Duke. This year it was BC. Like step three, beat Sunbelt program. Step four, beat random game against Utah State because of course you're playing them for two straight years. Whatever. Like you start four and zero, and then you proceed to lose your first ACC game, which they did again this year. So like. The, the narrative that the wake is like really that far ahead of the rebuild process or that even far away of our rebuild process or anyone else's like we'll see what happens on Saturday like if we beat them I don't really think wake is in any better shape right now than they were last year or, or even the year before when they were three and nine but they lost like four single possession games yeah uh I'd say they're probably better but they still like but like Wolford's leaving like they have like most yes. of their best players are, are upperclassmen like Okay, you mean the, the shape they have going forward? That is, like as we said before, this is a very veteran team. 
Now, the fact they have guys like uh, Dorst, obviously, who's not going to play this weekend, but he's a freshman. So they do have they, they have been bringing in some more talent, but with, with your quarterback leaving and uh, apparently some of these veterans who have been there forever are, are going to uh, matriculate, um, we could see a step back, uh, which you hope to be better than, like, you know, if Wake finishes with, like, six or seven wins, you hope to get farther than that before you have that, that step back. But at the same time, that's such a difficult job that, I think overall it's hard to really gripe with what uh, what they've done here in what, uh, the last two years. Yeah, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I would take that heartbeat. I'm just more saying like just the general vibe um, of of them. So yeah, I mean they could easily take a step back and then like you're not like doing a full rebuild again, but it's not like you're going to you know make the jump up to eight wins if they win seven this year, um, because the ACC, like we said, should also probably take another step forward after. You know, an understandable down year considering how good the ACC was last year. I would agree. I would also, while we're here, um, before we move on to basketball, uh, actually, before we move on to predictions, then basketball, um, I don't want to face Notre Dame next year in any way, shape, or form now. And I'm really, really, really glad that that game was moved to, like, the second to last weekend. Is that is that, that late in the season? Yeah, it was originally, like, a late... It was around, like, a week it's four. When all the Notre Dame games have been. Yeah, it was around a week four, and then they pushed it to a week uh, 12, which... Um, that's a, Yeah, Notre Dame's going to be scary. Um, unless Brian Kelly decides to change their offense again. Or starts coaching um, the Giants, which... Or, or leaves, <laughs> which, uh, which would be, which would be shocking at that, this point. Uh, I mean, the Giants are going to be looking for a coach in about four days. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought you were going to say, like, at the end of the year. No, it, it could be any moment. <laughs> Literally... <laughs> Literally, um, they're going to show up to McAdoo's house and fire him, like, on his couch. Just tell him, don't show up to work tomorrow. His hair is going to be all disheveled. It's going to look um, exactly the same, actually. He's going he's, he's he's gonna, to have his jackets folded <laughs> <laughs> on his couch. It's like, oh, hey, just doing laundry. I could actually see Ben McAdoo becoming one of those guys who, like, some college hires for some reason, and oh, he's just God. like, it's like, he's like Bill Callahan in college. You're like, this, this didn't make a lot of sense, and it, it's very evident why <laughs> this guy is not recruiting anybody. Who wants to be retread university? Oh, <laughs> uh, Ben McAdoo to Oregon State. Who boy? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's see Ben McAdoo try to beat out Oregon for some players. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine him like giving like a presentation in a, in a recruits uh, like living room, and they're just like, "Who is what? What, what is this guy?" Oh, um, I, was, I was hoping for some like weak tie, but no, he's from Pennsylvania. Ooh, Penn State head coach please, after James Franklin please. leaves for some job, Florida, or like Florida, or like the A and M job of someone. That's a worst bounced. case scenario, actually. I don't want to get. I don't want to go down this road like for an extended amount of time or like any amount of time. But Syracuse fans, you should be rooting for Dan Mullen to get the Florida job because that causes the least amount of repercussions for the rest of the country. Unless, unless Scott Frost does the Florida, and then Dan Mullen just takes Nebraska, in which case it's like the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. But think, Scott Frost, everyone assumed he was going to Nebraska, which makes sense. He's an alum. But like, why would you um, want to go to Nebraska? They've also been talking about this for like three years. Uh, he was, I think he was, I don't know if he was interviewed, but he was brought up a lot when they got Mike Riley, which was a bad hire, and everyone knew it at the time. Um, so Scott Frost, apparently Florida is like really keying in on him, and also maybe Willie Taggart, which would open up some interesting issues, which I don't want to get into. Um, but yeah, as long as Mullen and Frost go to those two schools, I think we might be okay. Also, Jim Moore has a huge buyout, and we should hope that that is a deterrent. Yeah, because UCLA decided to do that dumb thing like right after he had like a second straight nine and four season. Uh, yeah, decided to extend him because they forgot that like his only division titles were when they went like six and seven, and on technicality because USC was ineligible. Yeah, and before he actually brought in his own players, right? Surprise. Um, yeah, who, who could have seen this? This only happens with like half of the hires in college football, <laughs> including I guess I feel like every UCLA hire. Um, yeah, uh, football scoop wrote like a just completely hypothetical, like, here's how we like half jokingly think things will play, think things will play out. And one of their things was more getting fired and UCLA hiring Babers. So who was, um, who was coached here before? And by here, yeah, he and was, by here, I mean, Los Angeles, not, I'm, I'm not, yes, I'm not a secret Bruins John's fan as physical well. here, <laughs> not his, not here in his heart, which is Syracuse university. Um, yeah. So let's not have that happen. I, I, I feel hard. I just completely hypothetically, I would find it hard to begrudge him because that's like a 
a good job. Um, it it also seems job. like a bit much. I feel like UCLA will probably UCLA UCLA is such a dumb job. Like I know everybody knows that it, it from profiles afar. is a very good job. It profiles is a very good job, and like everybody here thinks the same thing everybody nationally does. That like it's stupid that this program isn't good. It also everyone thinks the same thing about USC that everyone else does. If it's stupid, this program isn't even better. Because it's yeah. not hard to sell this place. Like just step off the plane and like drive like two miles to the beach and you don't really need to do anything else. Also UCLA, you would feel like has pretty realistic expectations. Like you beat USC once in a while. You contend for the South once in a while. Yeah, you'd be like, surprised. I know, I, I know a lot of UCLA fans and let that's me fair. Tell you, but, I, I'm coming oh, yeah. from an outside perspective. Oh, yeah. Like they haven't been anything really for a while. They occasionally will flirt with 10 wins, but like you would think that like, if you just kind of fought for a Pac-12 title, like once in every four or five years, you'd be, a, you'd be in good shape. Oh, they don't care. Because they just haven't done that in a long time. No, USC, I get crazy expectations. No, but UCLA is the same crazy, like similar crazy expectations, but they don't care. Like they, and this isn't even to knock UCLA fans because like, I mean, you know, all my in-laws are UCLA fans. It's just to point out that like the expectations around UCLA football are very, are very similar, if not worse than the like insane fringe of Syracuse fans that think we should be like nine and three every season. That's fair. Yeah, it's also like I don't know. I just I I'm not too worried about UCLA as a Babers destination. I know he coached there, and that's like a connection. But and he's from um, well, not from here, but he spent a lot of time in Southern California as well. Right. I just don't see, like, I feel like we're probably overrating the appeal of hiring Babers because, like, I know he's done a really good job here, and we all know that, and I think it might not, it would probably be a pretty decent hire, but I think it's it's going to be harder for other big schools like UCLA or A&M or whomever to sell, and hand him just, like, just to see his daughter goes there and there's connections to that area. But, like, it's harder to sell, like, say he goes 5-7 and seven this year. It's like, oh, we just hired the Syracuse coach with, what, like... 10 and 15 record. Yeah, like, oh, sweet. Great, thanks. <laughs> Dope. And we know that that's, like, a much more of an accomplishment than than what it looks like on paper. But that's very hard to sell to your fan base. Oh, yeah, if you told us, like, hey, like, we're going to hire Ball State's 10 and 15 head coach, I'd, like, I'd lose my mind. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care how we got to 10 and 15. I wouldn't yeah. care if six of those wins were in year two. I, I or would, that, I like, they were it. coming out of, like, a really bad uh, retread, or not retread, a uh, really bad, like, legacy hire type deal. Um, you're like, no, I'm not happy that we hired Mike New. Um, <laughs> even though he did coach at Tulane, apparently. I still wouldn't be happy about it. I, I had to Wikipedia Mike New as I brought that up because I was pretty sure he was Ball State's coach still, but I wasn't, I, like, 100% I, I, sure. I heard you typing. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm also pretty sure that Tulane hasn't won a game since I wrote that article about them. <laughs> actually i have like a i had like a running spreadsheet for a while i think every team just about every team i've wrote, written about for the comeback this year has lost the following week <laughs> the Tassilo curse so real dude i wrote i wrote about arizona last week and they got and well they almost came back that was a lot of fun actually i've, I've long said you were the mean times of the comeback oh my god i just wrote about toledo today <laughs> poor poor rockets did you see that score dear god no, I have the Central Eastern game. No, on. they they lost thirty eight to ten tonight. My article about Toledo went up this morning. <laughs> I, that's amazing. <laughs> like, I mean, the Bobcats are good, but like, they're not like so good that they should have beaten Toledo by twenty eight points. No, that that doesn't make any sense. No, that's stupid. Can we use harnessing your powers for good? Yeah, you know, admittedly, I don't really write about Syracuse as a rule, just because somebody else already pays me to do that somewhere else. Right, but. And, like, it's too hard with Syracuse. It's too hard to do the whole, like, national voice versus local voice switch. That's fair, because it's hard to... It, I, whenever I have to write about Syracuse, it's, like, the same thing. I have to be like, oh, people don't know this. I have to <laughs> You don't know the jokes. Everything. The, the dank yeah. memes are not with you. Yes. Anyway, I know we're already running, like, toward overtime, but... Uh, like, eight minutes ago, we've said, like, oh, let's not go too far into this, and then we just talked about a lot of different things. <laughs> all, all, all of the different things. Um... All right. Uh, before we move on to basketball, very quickly, just to give a prediction, um, Dan, do you think we're beating Wake? And if so, by what score? Uh, I keep on projecting us to lose, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, we're four and five, so it's not like it's done great shakes for me. Um, but we're—I don't know. I don't have a great feeling about the game. I'm gonna say we'll win it, just I feel like we need to, and I, I something tells me that this team is going to find a way to get to a bowl. It's just too good not to. 
Um, I'm going to take Syracuse to beat Wake at the Dome. Let's go uh, 31-27. I was going to say that score. Now I'm not. Um, On a last drive, uh, Dungy rushing touchdown. That's hopefully, well, I mean, not hopefully. Maybe hopefully it is as easy as the last rushing touchdown of the Florida State game. Um, Yeah. I think we're going to have a dramatic, like, really frustrating, but eventually uh, fun game. As is just about every Wake Forest game, admittedly. As is every Syracuse game in 2017. Every Syracuse game ever. Um, For me, I think that Dungy's going to be a little, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to be a little slowed, though. Um, and I think that Wake is going to try to take advantage of that. I think that's going to lead to another slow start, unfortunately. But I think the second half Syracuse is going to be able to do uh, do that thing that they do. And uh, I'm going to give them the win here. Give me give me 30 to 26. That's a that's an almost your score, but not quite. I don't think this bumped it down one point each. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I was just thinking, like, what's a really dumb way for Syracuse to win this game? And and, and four points seem like the dumbest line. Because that'll either require, like, you know, us, us us needing a touchdown to win or us stopping Wake Forest from scoring a touchdown to win. And I feel like that's a natural end to this game. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think this will be a close game no matter what happens. I don't see Wake Forest... I don't think either team's going to be able to blow the other one out. And I think Wake is just too consistent that... I think this is going to be... I, I just see us this one coming down to the wire and it we're going to be sweating it out no matter who has the ball last. Which is unfortunate. Again, this is not news. We we watched all these games. It's every it's every game. It's every, it's every game, and and we're the one with the quarterback who literally has to get like carried off the field. Just about every week lately. Um, which is... Eric, I cannot wait for like the retrospectives in Dundee's career. They're going to be so much fun because what a ridiculous. I mean, we have a whole other year, but what yeah. a ridiculous career it's been. <laughs> Grape soda, the Eric Dungey experience. <laughs> oh, actually, no. You I, just... tweeted, I meant to tweet the uh, Dungeon GIF after last night's elections, and I forgot. No, I feel bad. It's too late now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think maybe just do uh, Grape Soda, Are You Experienced? And then it's just like Dungy as LSD tripping Jimi Hendrix. Ooh, that'd be good. I would enjoy that. So somebody, uh, I really enjoy it after me asking for it. Like minutes later, somebody mocked up the uh, Dungy Gladiator um, photo. Of are you not entertained? Which I was. I need to find that. I, I, I tweeted it out. It's really good. I think I tweeted it from the noon feed though. Anyway, um, yeah, that was a that was a good one. I was I was very happy with the uh, the, the uh, Syracuse response to getting that that up straight away. I don't know why we hadn't thought of that one before just now, or just today anyway. Um, but before we uh, sign off here, we won't go into the game itself because I feel like it's kind of useless to to really like chronicle these early games too much um do you think there's any chance we lose to cornell oh uh, maybe <laughs> I, I don't think so i don't think cornell's i imagine cornell's not that good no um is bam sun playing is seriously like redshirting i don't i don't, don't think you're redshirting ivy's oh it's true ivy league doesn't redshirt yeah so i hope he plays cool. i mean i'm sure i'm sure um, they're gonna have him play they might like they might even it'd be have kind of weird to have him there and like not plan on play. playing him this year and not play him against his dad at the dome so, no, I mean, I, I have to imagine we'll be Cornell. Um, I hope this team starts off to faster starts. Um, I'm just, I'm, again, I'm super intrigued. I want to see who plays uh, the rotation. I want to see Frank Howard. I think he's going to be probably the key to this whole thing. Um, if he is good this year, it really changes the, the whole dynamic of the team. And I'm interested to see if the two centers can continue to play defense the way they, hit, they did in the exhibitions. Like, I, if this team can block shots... Um, it gives us something. I'm a little worried about the... I think we're kind of playing as last year's... Like, so far in the exhibitions, I think we're playing on last year's, like, three-point gunning model when we don't have the shooters for it. So I I'm, I want to see the offense kind of shift in more of a, a you know, inside-out direction. Um, but overall, like, we'll see. Guys, it's two, two exhibition games, so it's not, like, a great set of data to go on. But uh, it's going to be a, an experiment. Um, I do think everyone brings up, like, the fact that Beheim's like the, the years he the least is expected of him, um, he seems to rise to the occasion as a coach, and obviously with that Hawkins there, I think he probably has a bit of a chip on his shoulder. So I, I'm I have like muted excitement about this season, um, and we we talked about this a lot last week, but uh, I, I'm just very interested to see what this what what we what this year brings 
um, and hope that we can take some kind of momentum into what could be a, a pretty fun year next year with Baisley coming in and Buddy Bayham coming in and, you know, adding to a, a very young group. Agreed, agreed. And, yeah, I don't think we're going to lose to Cornell. Uh, some of the other games, maybe. Um, I do like the fact that we're facing the Bonnies later, like December-ish. I think that if, if we, like, had St. Bonaventure's, like, the second or third game, we'd definitely lose that game. Um, just by way of them having talent and us not being, like, fully, like, cohesive yet. Yeah, Bonnie, Bonnie's are good. Um, I look forward to us beating them by, like, 15, and then <laughs> that Norlander's inbox just... Getting lit up. Being lit on fire by our angry, irrational fans. That, that, that would be a perfect... Uh, I feel like I would make a t-shirt out of that. It's like the version... Remember, I think, year, I think the 2009-10 season, I remember there was a... This is like... Before Bleacher Report hired actual people, they had like, it was just like whoever was the Wild West Bleacher Report era, and they had like a similar thing of like they ranked the teams in the state of New York, and they had Siena ahead of us, and obviously we went on to be the number one team in the country for a large chunk of the year, and that writer never really, I don't think he was actual like a person that mattered, but um, he never, he got like lit up all the time. He was never, he was never ever allowed to write about college basketball ever. No, I think he was, yeah, he was uh, sent to the stockades. Um... (laughs) His, inter- his internet was taken away from him. Uh, Norlander, his, his uh, actual college basketball writer, and St. Bonaventure is going to be good, a good mid-major. I don't know about St. John's, whoever knows about St. John's, uh, who we also had ranked ahead of us, but I do hope that we uh, knock them off because, uh, you know, that'll probably look like a good one at the end of the year. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I'm uh, I'm actually now, like, excited for the, the Bonnies game, and I wasn't, I didn't really care before. There's always a little extra juice for the Bonnie's game because their fans are, like, weirdly ravenous, too. Yeah. No, I, I've and also, they try to injure our players, and that's not the best. But it adds something. It is. I, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I met one Bonnie's fan recently, and I, uh, I did talk to him about it, and the first thing he was going in about was how the Bonnie's were going to beat us this year. I was like, all right. Yeah. I'll see you, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, like, Syracuse basketball has, like, draws a lot of ire from a lot of fan bases, and the Bonnies are definitely one that we don't talk about all the time, but Bonnies fans do not like Syracuse, and we don't think about them really at all because we don't play that often, uh, or, like, all the time. It's it's funny, though. Like, they, we're probably, like, I know they probably have, like, rivals in their league and whatnot. Oh, we're definitely the biggest rival. We're, the, we're probably the team that they want to beat the most on any given year. Um, and I guess, like, you could say that about a lot of, like, mid-majors that have, like, a big team on their schedule. But UConn. Um, the fact that we, like, refuse to play there because of their fans, I think they threw stuff on the court last time. Um, and just a lot of stuff like that. Like, the Bonnies, there's, like, a special weird relationship between Syracuse and the Bonnies basketball program. So, um yeah, it's always uh, always definitely more interesting than your normal, like, oh, you're playing a random team from upstate New York. Fair enough. Uh, I think that's a good place to end it, actually. A little, uh, little Bonnie slander while we're, while we're here. I feel like we have so many things that I can put in this post to just piss fan bases off now. Oh, yes. The SEOs will be so good. <laughs> Cannot wait. Uh, Dan, thank you, as always, for joining. Much obliged today. Yes, always, always enjoy doing it. Indeed, indeed. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. You can be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange. Go Orange. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.